Welcome once again to the Propreneur Podcast, where we help practice owners become better entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Dino Watt. And once again, welcome back, everybody, to the Propreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Dino Watt. Excited to have you here once again, sharing best practices with us and hopefully sharing with your friends and colleagues. If you've enjoyed the show, please make sure to subscribe and also share it with a friend or a colleague so that they can actually get this information too. And you're really going to want to share it and subscribe to this podcast because we get the pleasure of listening to Dr. Robert Sheffield, who is somebody I've known now for, I think, six years, five, six years going on that. It's been a while. It's been a while. I've seen his kids grow. That's how long it's been. Uh, (laughs) He's seen my kids grow and get out of the house. But I'm excited to have him on the show because we're going to talk all about how to improve your office culture. And for any of you that have listened to this show for any amount of time, you know that is my passion and helping people do that. So, uh, Rob, thank you for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure, Dino. I appreciate it. So, Rob is uh, a doctor who's been practicing for quite a long time. But instead of me telling that story and, and finding out all about you and about how you got into this world, why don't you just tell our guests and our listeners how you got involved with orthodontics, why maybe you got into orthodontics, and uh, how your practice is doing now? Yeah, I guess it's probably not different than a lot of people. You know, I wanted to be a dentist since as long as I could remember. You know, my mom told me at six years old, I came back from my pediatric dentist visit and said, that's what I want to do. So obviously I kind of stuck with it all through school. And as you do, you're searching what would be the most interesting. I gravitated towards orthodontics and uh, was fortunate enough to be able to, you know, follow my dreams, you know, all the way till today. You know, I'm still, still living the dream. Living a dream. Well, I think it's funny. Uh, well, not funny. It's just interesting because I do find that usually people fit into certain categories, right? Like, like you, you, you just saw it when you were a kid and you're like, man, I want to do something like that. Uh, or they had some traumatic experience, right? Like got a car accident and all their teeth got knocked out and they had a, a great orthodontist that helped them out. Or uh, they were in school. They really didn't know what to do. And then somebody just kind of led them on to this idea of being a dentist and then orthodontist. And it just was a natural progression. So I love that your category was since you were six years old, knowing that that's what you want to do. I wanted to avoid the dentist, like the plague when I was six years old. So, because every time I went, there's another cavity. Yeah. Every every time there's at least one. As a matter of fact, it was a joke in my family of like, okay, how many cavities are you going to have this time? And I, we found out later on, and, and I'm probably making this up in my head because it makes me feel better about it. But when I got braces, the doc, the orthodontist there told me that one of the reasons why I probably had a lot of cavities was because my teeth, not only were they jacked up at the front with the supernumerary and all that stuff, but they were spread out quite a bit. And so there's more places for the cavities to hide. Does that sound right? Or am I making stuff up? Well, sure. You know, I mean, it's harder to keep your teeth clean if they're not aligned as well, you know, or you could keep them clean, but it takes more effort and not a lot of people are spending the necessary effort. So teeth does allow you to keep things clean easier. So you hope in the long run, the hygiene's better and in turn the dental health and everything. And I do want to say, Dino, when I first met you, you would have had no idea what a supernumerary. I know it's so true. (laughs) You've learned a lot since we first started, uh, you know, chatting with each other. Oh, a hundred percent, man. Uh, 
when I sit there, there's still times, especially like at the meeting I was just recently at, I was sit there and I just looked over at my wife. I'm like, they just spoke Klingon to me. I don't know what they just said. Right. But there are other things I'm like, oh, an inclusion. Okay. All right. Okay. I know it. Like little things that I'm getting. Oh, when they're talking about the, the, the archway, this is what they're talking about. I sound very, very smart to the people who are around me that don't know what they're talking about either. Yeah. Um, it's funny because you made, when you said that about six years old, you brought up a memory in my head that I haven't talked about. And I haven't um, really gone back to a long time. I, it had to be fifth grade because I was at Yekaloma. Yeah, so fifth grade, there was a talent contest. And for whatever reason, we decided to do, I decided to sing a song um, uh, for Ghostbusters. Remember the show Ghostbusters, yeah. right? Uh, there's a little girl, little girl, Tammy, who was like abnormally short. And I was a plaque buster and I wore a whole white outfit with the backpack and I had a big thing of crest on my back out of, you know, cardboard or cardstock. And I sang the song Plaquebusters. And I totally was like, when there's something strange growing in your mouth, who are you going to call? Plaquebusters. I did a whole song around this thing. I haven't thought about that in forever. You just brought that in my head. That is crazy. That's what you're going to get on this show, folks, is weird memories of Dino and his dentistry. <laughs> and challenges well back to you yeah um what i'd love to hear about is is how is you've been in practice for how long now uh geez gotta gotta think about it since 1998 you know in, in this location so 22 years in the same location well same city town yeah right, right. just growing it wow that's yeah. amazing 22 years that's awesome and so what i love about that is that there's obviously some great wisdom and understanding that you've had through the ups and downs of uh, being an owner, uh, being an orthodontist, what would you say has been some of the biggest struggles that you've come across over 22 years with the merging of being a great technician at what you do as an orthodontist and owning a business? Where are the, some big challenges? Yeah, I, I think, you know, obviously learning the technical side of what we do is a constant process. You know, I think you know, anyone who is dedicated to their profession is going to continually learn and grow yeah. and always learn something new. And you seek out mentors to help you with a challenge or a problem or something that, oh, I never thought of doing it that way. So, you know, and that process always thrills me and, you know, I'm engaged at all times in, in that area. You know, the business side you know, you don't get a lot of training on that side coming out of school. I think I was fortunate based on my background and friends and colleagues through my wife's line of work to probably have a little more business background, you know, than others. But I was fortunate when I got out of school and joined a practice and eventually purchased that practice and, and took over. Um, it was a pretty well-respected practice. It was a large practice you know, with a nice reputation and had certain systems in place. And so, you know, it, it afforded me the luxury of concentrating on the technical side of my, you know, craft and the business side kind of plotted along. Okay, it's doing fine. Here we're going. Um, and I've always been a numbers person. So, you know, record this, measure this, you know, as you say, if you don't measure it, right. you don't know what's happening. So, that's I always right. did that, but I'd have a lot of data and maybe never do anything with it. Mm. As I reached a certain level of busyness in the practice, you start to realize how critical systems are. 
-hmm. and how critical I think most importantly the team you're building to go on the journey with you is and as you know I kind of reached a point where it seemed as though sometimes I was swimming upstream with my team um, and so for me it was really trying to identify what I wanted for for myself as a business owner and then personally to kind of move the practice to the next level um, or even more importantly just let me get more enjoyment you know out of it rather than feeling like I was caught in a tornado all the, all the time which is super important right is the the idea of actually enjoying not just what you do but doing it every single day I, I don't I haven't met a lot of orthodontists who are like, yeah, I hate being an orthodontist or I'm no longer excited about being an orthodontist. But when you combine that with the business side of things, that's where the struggle comes in of, I love doing what I do every day, but having to run a business every day is what drags me down. And unfortunately that sometimes can get in the way of doing what you love. Yeah. You know, I would think so. And that's the, you always, in my opinion, and learning with your help was how do you define what it is you want? You, you, you yeah. know, and while I had a vision and a mission, okay, I believe it, but you got to enroll the team and they have to believe it. And then the further step of trying to identify core values, um, I thought was a big step and a big process. And it still is. I mean, to, to this yeah. day, whatever, five years since, you know, we first started working together or six. Um, and I think the hardest thing for me was you telling me early on, you go through this process, you're going to find that you're going to have to love some of your team into a different place. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, their values are not aligned with your values. Mm -hmm. um, and that's definitely, that's a scary part, I think, for any small business owner, because it's not as though we have a, a pool of waiting, you know, employees sitting there who you can plug right in, you, you know, right. you lose a person for whatever reason. Um, it's a challenge. I mean, you know, the day becomes more stressful because you're understaffed, puts a bigger workload on the rest of your team and your patients. Um, and so that's a scary thing, but, you know, learning to stick with it and stick to your guns, I, I guess, is, yeah. you know, what I've learned through the process is this is what I want and I'm going to keep plodding along and gradually, okay, you've got one more person who's enrolled and now there's another one and another yep. one. And, and eventually I, you know, I hope I get there. Maybe I'll retire at that point, but you, you know, you can be done and be like, finished, got it, got it all dialed in. Yeah. You know, I've been pondering a lot lately on the idea of leadership because there's so many ideas of what leadership is and so many definitions of what that means. And as I've been kind of narrowing it down, I've been thinking more about part of, and a very large part about being a leader is the willingness to be uncomfortable so that you can help other people get what they want in life. And that uncomfortableness is, look, it's not comfortable to let somebody go. It's not comfortable to take a risk on even hiring somebody. It's not comfortable uh, having to create and learn a new process. It's not comfortable to have to discipline someone. And right. yet that is the leadership quality that is so necessary and to, to be learned 
and too often it's hijacked by this this idea of I want to be nice, I want to be liked, I want to you know not have people upset with me, which is I think a very common human trait for you know most non sociopath people, and it's it's a big step to take to say this is what I want. I'm going to have to get uncomfortable to make sure that's what I get, even if that means in the short term hurting somebody's feelings or making them uh, them not understanding. I used to wrap a lot of it in integrity, right? Like, well, if you don't want that person working with you, you're out of integrity every day that they're there with you. How did you find, uh, there are a lot of docs, there are a lot of business owners who who never get there, who do you know 30 40 years in their practice and then hit that retirement moment and never had gotten there how did you decide to make that transition into realizing that that was really important to you to actually ask for and put that line in the sand if you will of what you want yeah i i, I don't know it wasn't like a light bulb moment that that kind of went on obviously it had been something i'd been thinking about for a long time mm-hmm. um, I read a lot of different things and self-help, whether it's business or personal. And so sure. you see that, but how do you implement that? You know, can, can be difficult. Um, and when I spoke to a friend and he'd kind of gone through challenges in his, you know, practice and had kind of made a, a change or a commitment that he wanted to love what he was doing all the time, not just the technical side, but mm. the environment, so to speak. And that kind of spurred me to say, okay, what do I, I need to do? And that's kind of what led me to working with you. Oh, right, yeah. You know? And that was what was intriguing because there's so many people in the dental industry, right? But you weren't, right? You approached it from a different perspective that for me from a relationship side, you know, that's where you were initially and everything we do, whether it's personal or let's just focus on the office, it's a relationship. I mean, you're with the five, six, 10, 18, 20, however many, you know, team members you have, plus all your patients, right? So it's all about relationships and, um, all of us can work on relationships, right? And and absolutely. I think it was, I want to say it was Keith Cunningham from The Road That's Stupid, but my, my brain is saying, no, it's not. Anyways, the, the quote is, uh, there are no business problems. There are only relationship problems masked as business problems. And if you think about that on an even deeper level of how we are, what our relationship is with money, what our relationship is with success, what is our relationship with, you know, claiming that we're the best in the world at what we do? I've, I've been talking about that for a while now. And at the beginning of my speeches, right, I'll say, hi, my name is Dino Watt, and I'm the best in the world at what I do. Sure. I'm standing in front of a group of people who I believe are the best in the world at what they do. And it's, it's, I'll sometimes go through an exercise where I'll have like people kind of own it. I'll give some examples of, you know, obviously the late, you know, Kobe Bryant, you know, he believed every time he got on the floor that he was the best in the world at what he did. And that's why he was so great. And those that believe that achieve more, but it's very interesting to have people when I finally at the end say, okay, docs, I want you to say it. I want you to say it. Like you believe it, that you're the best. What there's this retraction that goes on. You could just see it. And it's like, well, man, because there's a responsibility that happens when you claim that. 
So just like in that situation, when you claim what you want, when you say, hey, I, I want to have these certain things happen in my office, I want these type of people around me that are going to support that, then Providence moves to make that happen, number one, but it also can get really scary. So the question would be, what's on the other side of that? For somebody who's listening right now, I always try to put myself in the spot of the guy driving to work, uh, thinking about listening to the show, thinking right now, okay, well, am, am I willing to go through that? Am I, I, you know, I say what I want all the time, but nobody gives it to me, right? There has to be a bigger commitment with that, obviously. What's on the other side of that, of when you do make that commitment, when you do put that line in the sand, does it give you more freedom? Do you feel like it was more work? Like what's the other side of that? Well, it's definitely more work. I mean, once you've kind of committed, you're committed, you, you know, right? I mean, you're there, you're, you're yep. all in and you have to make the commitment to yourself that even when it gets dark and scary, you're still going to commit to that because mm. you are, that's what you're investing in for your happiness. Mm. And and that's, that's difficult, right? You, you know, and I think the biggest, I don't know, aha moment early on in our relationship, you know, was when we were talking about how do you form, you call it the core team or other people use a leadership team and you're kind of looking and you'll instantly kind of gravitate towards, oh, well, who's been here the longest, you know, these sorts of things. Who's in management, who's yeah. at TV, yeah. There, and you use the term advocate, hmm. right? And, oh, well, that person who I was thinking of, and when you put it out, that person who is going to always be your advocate, they're going to support you. They're going to support the vision you have and the core values you've established as a team at all times. You know, this doesn't mean they're a yes person. And, right. they, you know, you'd want them to also come to you. Hopefully hey, they're not, right. You said this, or you did this, um, maybe you're not adhering to your core values. So it's not a, a yes man, but it's that someone who's the advocate. And that was a big realization for me is as you can start to find true advocates for your practice, you are able to offload certain things. Um, but it's a constant work in progress and maybe we'll touch on it later, but I'm going to throw it out there now because the biggest struggle I have now is how do you develop that mid-level management, so to speak, within your practice? You've got people who they can think 10 steps ahead, you, you know, mm -hmm. something's going to happen. Oh, I've got to check this, this, this. They kind of do that, but the struggle can be, they will have a challenge having a crucial conversation with a teammate. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you find out something's been going on for seven months. You're like, wait a minute. Why didn't you guys handle this? Cause you know how it should be handled, but they don't. Right. right? And, and usually it comes up when I finally come now to the realization, it's time to love this person out mm -hmm. and then they're gone. And so far, fortunately, as you adhere to this, plan I'm on, every time I've had to make that decision, I feel great. So I know yeah. it's the right decision. I mean, not great that I had to let someone go, but- No, but you I know it's the right decision. That, ooh, all of a sudden this weight's off my chest. Yeah. Um, but then all these things come to light. Oh yeah, there was this, this, and this. You're hearing from the team. Oh, come on guys. I need you to kind of- I need that feedback, yeah. Either fix it or 
bring it up sooner. You, you know, yep. sometimes I'm thinking, uh, maybe it's only me. You know, I have the biggest problem. Oh, it's maybe it's my problem. You, you know, you know. And then I realize it's not always my problem. No, and 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 that's a really important thing is to trust yourself. I think we often, whether it be just a life thing or uh, in our practice thing, we're kind of taught not to not to really listen to that intuition and that gut because you know whether it's a matter of the fear of well if i do listen to that and i take action it's gonna be more work for me or what are the ramifications of that action i'm gonna take but i think the more we start thinking about you know that's a red flag or at least an orange flag (laughs) maybe i should ask a question on that maybe i should you know really I'll be willing to poke the bear for just a moment. And then if I'm wrong, cool. I'm totally open to being wrong. It's interesting. I was listening to a a podcast. um, Oh, I was listening to Joe Rogan podcast and he was interviewing um, Robert, Robert Downey Jr. with Iron Man. And he basically was saying how cool it would be. Like, are you ever going to come back to Iron Man again? And it would be cool if you like showed up in one episode or another movie, like five years down the road, how cool would that be? And then five minutes later, he is talking about how terrible of an idea that would be for Robert Downey Jr. to show back up again. It's kind of like a prize fighter who is great. And then he retired and tries to come back and it's always a terrible situation. And Robert Downey Jr. says to him, he goes, well, it sounds like you're arguing both sides to me right now. And Joe Argony goes, well, yeah, of course, because I'm always open to being wrong. And I thought that's a really smart way to think about it for leaders is be willing to be willing to say, hey, um, I'm worried about this. This is my concern here, but I'm totally open to being wrong. If you can show me that that's wrong or that I'm, I'm going down the wrong path, I'm totally open to that. What a freeing thing too, mindset-wise, to be in that spot. My question is, is um, when you talk about that, that challenge is, is it a matter of the system that's not in place, the accountability system that's not in place? So for example, I have an office where we put in a place every Friday, the doc gets from his two upper management people or uh, mid-manager people, a specific report that tells them all the good, bad, and ugly inside of the business so that he can be aware of it. Cause he doesn't need to be dealing with it all week long, but Friday he needs to know. He needs to know that that thing was checked, that the things were ordered, that that person was dealt with. And if not, then it's on that management accountability. Is there something like that in place that might help out? Um, some along those lines, I think for most of our, let's call it basic operating systems, if you're referring to reports that have to be turned in for whatever, you know, treatment coordinator needs to turn in month end reports, you know, so we have that the lead clinic assistant who handles tracking our, uh, extra visits, emergency visits, you know, those reports are all in, you know, know, no show rates for exams and patients and all those reports that all kind of moves fairly well. I mean, sure. that issue. I think if you're talking about a report that says the good, the bad, and the ugly, it would be, and I don't have this, but mm. something along the lines of, okay, it's more on that relationship side. Yeah. You know? Like what don't I know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's like, like, how did it go? And you alluded to something when you kind of said, okay, here's what I'm seeing. I could be wrong. Right. But, let me throw it out there. And most yeah. of the time I know I'm right. <laughs> and it's, but, it's something 
one or two team members are doing that are uh-huh. doing the other people. Yeah. Now they could all be approaching it from a different perspective, which mm-hmm. is difficult, but I'll just say, Hey, here's what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Now the challenge is, is having your team then be honest with one another to be able to actually get to the root of the problem. Mm-hmm. And it's usually not that big a deal. Yeah. Right. And up into a big deal because it's just festered for four months. And if it had been dealt with two weeks in, right. It'd be fine. Or two hours in. Yeah. Amy, uh, my vice president, my vice president of sales and marketing, Amy Walker, she says that, um, unaddressed frustration never gets smaller. Yeah. Right. It's like it, it, frustration, irritation, and if it's not addressed, it never gets smaller. So then you actually have a really great set of core values that you guys have developed. What's the core value that would be around that challenge? Well, we always talk about creating a positive team. I'll I'll focus on that because, you know, most of the challenges if it's interpersonal are definitely dragging down the positivity within the team. Mm -hmm. Right. And you know, there's how we go. And we always try, or one of the things I've tried to teach the team is when there's a problem, write it down. Here's the problem. Mm -hmm. Here's why it's a problem. And here's my thoughts as possible solutions. And if everybody would just write it down, it becomes factual. You know, there's no emotion in the words on the page, typically, you, you know, but no one writes it down. So you're trying to carry on this conversation and it usually will come out more emotional than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Or the person receiving it receives it emotionally versus factually. Mm-hmm. And then it disintegrates <laughs> instead of just focusing on the, on the task at hand. So, um, so here's an idea. Here's an idea around that. When you do that, which I love that idea. I hope that people are listening take that on, and I hope that you know you can make that. Actually, it's not a good idea to do when we have a problem. I would even suggest to make this part of like the. Do you guys are you a four or five day office? Uh, primarily four days of, of active patients, and then the fifth day is more training or admin stuff. Admin and, stuff. Occasional things, but so that would be great. Even on that fifth day, every admin day morning huddle starts with, or in that huddle is, all right, everybody hand in your papers for what's the problem. But the thing I would add to that problem, your what's the problem, and then what was the second thing? Why it's a problem. Why it's a problem. I would add, what will happen if this problem doesn't get addressed? Because hmm. I want them to think that through. Like what are the, what are the negative outcomes if this problem doesn't get addressed? And then have everybody like it's it's Friday. We're not moving forward with our meeting until these are turned in, and we go through them because we can't have this go another week. We can't have it go another two days. And I wouldn't be surprised if a couple things happen. Number one, it's kind of like um, dieting, right? The best diet form of diet plan ever is a, a food journal because you have to pay attention to what you're eating. You have to write it down. You know, you got to write it down, even if you're the only person to see it. If they are forced to write down this thing, maybe it'll encourage them to deal with it on their own so they don't have to write it down. 
Because what I would say then as a leader is when it comes up later, if something comes up later on and it was never on the piece of paper and it never came out, somebody's like, no, it's been a problem for like two months. Like, no, it hasn't because it's not on the paper. And so if it's not on the paper, you can't bring it to me. This cannot now be a problem because we have a system for that. And as a leader, I would even say, like, if they come to you with that problem and it was a surprise thing, I'd refuse to listen to it. Sorry, I'm not allowing this to happen in my business. It's not a problem because you didn't write it down and hold people accountable to that. So it might be a way to get that through. Yeah, I think your comment of that added sentence, I think would be helpful because the more you can get your team, because another one of our core values is sound judgment. So Mm -hmm. they have to know the ramifications of what a decision might be to business and patients and team because there's a lot of ideas, great, but I'm approaching it from, okay, I start seeing 12, 15 other things that could happen from that decision yep. and they don't. And that forces them to at least think about it in an exercise form. They might only come up with one or two things, but yeah. that could be helpful that way too. Yeah. As long as it makes them think, right. We want them to start thinking and know and let them know that we want them to think, um, and come up with those solutions. Keith Cunningham often talks about that with the like, sometimes we have to think about not just what would happen if this went right, but what would happen if this went wrong? Can I handle that going wrong? Well, they need to be able to think through like, all right, so do I want to make this a problem? Is this really a problem? It's kind of like that, you know, uh, Byron Katie thing where it's like, okay, is this true? What if it wasn't true? And that way I can actually think through the process in my head. By the way, I think all of this, and I hope those that are listening get this, is that like what a huge gift that is to the team members, helping them solve, resolve problems in their own life and their own challenges, their own marriage or their kids or whatever. And I think that's one of the greatest honors of being a business leader is knowing that you are in a position to not just grow. Like I love how you said that earlier, you're constantly growing, you're constantly learning but to it, it, to show that as an example and be the true leader to all the people that work with you so they can step up to that next level. And uh, it's, it's quite a, an awesome thing to see. So I think that'd be a, a great thing for you to, to add in there. I think it's awesome. I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Okay. So tell us this, tell us where um, your business is going. In, in what sense? Well, what do you what do you see in the future? And say three years from now, you're at December 29th or 31st. I guess it would be 2023. Like, where do you see yourself? What's happening? Yeah, well, I, I think then it's still continually honing my craft, obviously, as mm-hmm. as the orthodontist, you know, and that. But uh, you know, we've had an influx of new talent, you, oh. you know, right? And so I think watching them grow is exciting for me you you know in in that sense so i'm hoping in three years (laughs) it's the same people that we've you know recently onboarded that'd be great yeah um so definitely want that but watching them as a team grow watching i'm hopeful that with the new group they're much closer to each other i think not that everyone needs to be hanging out you know, all the time out of work, but the majority of them seem to, 
You know, I try not to get too much into everything they do, but you hear the stories and, and the chatter. So I think that nature that they have an environment of where they're friends, you, you know, not just in the office and they tolerate each other as colleagues, but true friends mm. really going to improve the morale and the ability to have a crucial conversation, you, you, you know, because if you're friends, you know, you can have it and they piss you off and they upset you. You're able to kind of yep. smack them a little bit, not literally, but right. fire back quick and usually get over it faster. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. it's kind of more of a casual, just coworker relationship. It's harder, I think, to have that kind of a conversation when a, when a problem arises. And, and so um, that's what I really, you know, want, want to see. I think watching a lot of the newer team members be, excited you know i mean you've had people that did certain tasks and then we just had our annual kind of planning conference that mm-hmm. we do as a team every year and okay we've got this task that so and so used to do and you watch those who are stepping up to take on other tasks mm-hmm. not just punch a clock change some wires help me put some brackets on teeth but they actually want to be engaged in other things going on in the practice, that's exciting too, I I think. And so far, they also seem to be the type who follow through. And a lot of people say, hey, I'll I'll handle that. And then it pops back into my mind five months later, hey. What happened to that? Nothing ever happened, right? (laughs) I mean, that's what I wanna be able to see, the ability for me to be able to, hey, here's something we need to accomplish and you know they can execute it without a lot of oversight, yeah. unless they want that. But yep. not so much oversight, no micromanaging. I, yeah. I do not micromanage. I'm always there for help and feedback. But right, yeah, you're there to guide them and help them. And you know, most people talk about how they really want more autonomy in their job, and that's only going to come if they feel like there is that support and that they can make those decisions because you're teaching them how to make better decisions. Um, What you mentioned there about the task, right? Is that you're, sounds like you're finding more people to take on a role instead of do a task. Uh, Garrett Gunderson, I mentioned often talks about that, right? When you create, when you hire for a task, you create enslavement. When you hire for a role, there's your freedom. Because yeah. now they are thinking about it more on a, on a big level of, okay, what, what can I do to help this thing go to the next level? Um, would, would, it be, uh, would you be opposed to me giving you a quick coaching moment, though, through some of the verbiage that you just said? Sure. So I'm never opposed. You, to you are opposed to it or no? No, I'm never okay, opposed. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, so I don't want you to hope anymore. You, you mentioned hope a couple of times. I hope it's this. I hope it's that. Go to your team, and this is for everybody out there. I think it's so important for them to have clarity on what your expectation is and let them know that this is what you expect to happen in the next three years. This is what you expect to, for them to act like because your expectation holds more weight than your hope. Tony Robbins talks about how you, know, you have your, uh, your state, uh, your story, your state, and your strategy. And the worst strategy of all, of all the strategies out there is hope because it comes and goes with the wind, right? It's just depending on your mood. But when you have a strategy of, look, my strategy for you guys is that we are going to be a team that always thinks about how we can make the whole business improve. 
my strategy is that I didn't hire a bunch of people to do certain things like a task, but I hired people to perform a role because you're responsible for helping my business grow as well. And I understand that you wake up every single day to make my dream to come true. And so in turn, I'm going to wake up every day to make your dream come true. And that way it's given them this like, and, and I think you should repeat that like almost this is your Monday morning mantra, right? Like you just let them know this is what my expectation is. This is where we're going. Let's go. Because it gives them that sense of security, especially for, uh, for women. We've talked about on the show before about that, how important that is, but really just to know you have a plan and that's important. So just at that. So when you hear yourself say hope, you got to flick the rubber band on right. the wrist yeah. or like, or twist your knee or something. Okay. The shock collar. The shock collar. There yeah. It's right. awesome. All right. Well, obviously this has been great information. I know everybody listening to this is, is getting a ton of, of great uh, notes out of this and what they can do to go back in their practice. What I would love to do is that we usually end the show with six questions that are kind of rapid fire. I just ask a question. You give me your, your fastest answer possible. You want to play? All right. Let's see what we got. All right. So what's the number one thing that you wish they would have taught you back in school? Yeah, how to read people better. Oh, that's a good you one. Know, I think, you know, you talked about relying on your gut, but okay, is there cues that you could pick up on to know what, what is that person? So I think being able to read, that could have helped me maybe make a few better hiring decisions. Yeah. Or five decisions yeah. along the way. Yes. Right. That's a great one. That hasn't come up yet on the school, but re- there's been people, you know, how to talk to people more about to read people. That's really cool. Um, is there a book, and I know you've got a lot of them, but there, is there a book that you feel every private practice owner should be reading? Oh, well, that's kind of tough, I guess, because I've read a lot of books. But I yeah. think one that kind of encapsulates, and it's maybe this is personal, right? So everybody's going to feel something different. But um, for me, when I look at it, there's a book titled Move Your, Move Your Bus. Uh-huh. Or move the bus. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's broken down into sections. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I think about, you know, when you talked about setting expectations, well, when I think of expectations for me, all right, that book kind of dovetails very nicely with how I think. Mm-hmm. So at least from my standpoint of who I am, it's real nice to be able to talk to a new team member and say, okay, here's this. You're going to read it. We're going to talk about it because knowing how I am and what I think or my expectations is going to help you. Totally. So I think that book is probably one of the best just from my standpoint. Um, There's another little booklet. It's called Smile and Move. Mm -hmm. Um, But the company's Mm givemore.com. And, uh, you know, they're like 20 pages, but that encapsulates probably half just in its, you know, nice little bit of our core values. So that's another great one that I think fits well. Um, that's great. Me. Those are both good books and we'll definitely put links on the show notes to making sure that people can get to that. I think movie or best should be one of those required books for every new team member that and raving fans so that yeah. they just get like, when I say, look, right now you're being a walker right now. I need more runners or, yeah. you know, to, to, Go find me some of your friends that you feel are runners. That would be a good fit for our company, right? They understand what you're talking about. Well, obviously, you know, you've been through my program before, but also in my book, The Practice Rx, like my main focus and everything I do is about team culture and team performance. 
that being, I believe, the foundation of your growth of your business. But when you're talking to your colleagues, when you're even just like thinking about your own self and your business, what do you feel is the biggest challenge right now with private practice owners, uh, what they're facing, I should say, when it comes to their teams and office culture? You know, culture-wise, I think, you know, it's fine. I don't think there's such a big challenge, you know, there, as long as you stick to it and, and you're committed, you know, at least for where we are right now, and I guess it's a good thing with um, finding people, you know, there's not a lot of people out there searching, you know, we're having to replace a treatment coordinator right now. And, you know, even though you go outside, you know, the normal box for your reach, um, there's not a lot of applicants coming in. Right. Because we have a great economy. That's a challenge. Quality people. So that I think right now in the immediate sense is probably the biggest, you know, challenge I'll see, you know, with with where we're we're looking at, um, you know, from a team standpoint and and finding people, you, you know, culture wise, I'm getting better and some of my key people who are also involved in bringing on new team members are also getting better at reading people and, and kind of ferreting out what type of person this is. Yeah. You know, I can't teach you to be a good person. Right. I mean, I hope that I can teach you the skills. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. I mean, there's that. Mm-hmm. But you got to have an inner sense of you're a good person first off having people come in when you talk about culture that you've got to love people, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if you can think about someone else before yourself, you're usually going to make the right decision. Yeah. I mean, not at the detriment to yourself. That's not what I'm saying. But sure. You know, everything that happens during the day, if everybody thought about, well, how's it going to affect the patient or how's it going to affect my coworker before Ooh, if I do this, I might get to lunch 10 minutes late and I was right. to go pick up my dry cleaning or, or whatever it is. Then they spend so much time figuring out that if you'd just gotten it done, you would have been done 10 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. You know, so if we're thinking about others first, so I, I think finding those people for your culture, usually no matter what your core values are, if they're a good person inherently and they'll think about others first, you can usually get someone who's going to be a good fit. That's actually a really good, good point. Like there's a basic need or even limits test of like, are you really a good person? Are you thinking of others first? Are you charitable? Are you wanting to see other people succeed and, and excited for them when they do succeed yeah. or not? If you can find those type of characteristics in a person, then the culture is going to number one, be a lot easier, but they'll, they'll plug into whatever you got going on because they want to be a part of that. Yeah, that's actually a really cool idea. Um, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you and ask you some questions, what's the best way that they can reach out to you? Yeah, probably my personal email would would be the best way. You know, I usually will check that. You know, pretty regularly. Okay, and that is oh, sorry, R E Sheffield at sbcglobal.net. All right, we'll make sure we put that in the show notes as well. All right, so this is a big tough question, I know, but. Um, What's the best advice that you've ever received in business or in life? Remember to take care of yourself and your family. Oh, so hard for so many people, right? Yep. Yeah, that's so true. And and I think, 
I mean, that's critical, especially as you watch, you know, my kids have almost all gone, you know, out of the house and, and things like that. And, you know, I don't have any regrets by, by any stretch, but yes, I could have tried to have figured out more time, you know, and most of us probably in this profession are somewhat on the type A side, I would say, mm-hmm. so, and I, you got to plan time for yourself, you know, yeah. it sounds really bad. Oh, you mean I got to schedule time for this? So important. I, I think to any, especially younger professional or anybody, I guess, is want to make that schedule, you know, and even if it's just when I'm home, I'm going to make sure for at least 45 minutes, I'm going to sit down with my spouse. Yeah. You know, and even if it yeah. just means you're sitting on the couch together and you're watching, I don't know, Home and Garden Channel or, or whatever it would be, mm-hmm. you're there with them. Um, yeah. You know, take time, whatever you can to maybe eat dinner as a family. Yeah. You know, I think that's the, the biggest thing. And ask your kids, how was their day? Make sure no one has their phones at the table. <laughs> but I, wow. I think that, that would be where I would go. I love it. I think it's so important. And I got to say, like, there are plenty of great conversations that are started over uh, sell or not sell or whatever that show is, right? On Home and Garden yeah. Network, so. Yeah. Sell it or list it or whatever it is. Love it or list it, yeah. Uh, love it or list it, there you go. Um, all right, and then uh, last question is this. Out of the 22 years that you've been in practice, what you've seen, what you've tried, what you've worked on, what do you, what do you feel has been the best resource or tool that you've used to grow your practice? Uh, I guess just be genuine and honest. You know, one of my instructors mm-hmm. in school, when I was getting ready to leave residency and there's a lot of trepidation and how do, am I going to make the right decision or anything like that? And, and Mike said to me, he said, Rob, he said, as long as you treat every patient as if it was your son or daughter in the chair, you're going to be fine at least then you know you're coming from a place of integrity and honesty and true caring. It could be the wrong decision, right? I mean, there's no guarantee right, sure. there, but at least you know you're making that decision for the right reasons um, mm-hmm. in their best interest. I mean, I think most of us, I would hope, would treat your family <laughs> with their yeah, best interest <laughs> and not any other extraneous reasons. Um, so I think that was... I still remember that to this day. I'm sure there's plenty of others. If I gave that's awesome though. about it, but the one that pops into my head every day when I'm doing a, a new patient exam or parent asks me, well, what would you do? Well, I'm able to have that conversation because this is what I would do if it was my child. It makes it a lot easier just to live with yourself. First of all, uh, you know, and just know that, yeah, even if it's uh, like you said the wrong decision or if the true decision is, I wouldn't do this and it doesn't benefit your business. It still benefits your business and benefits you as well. Well, great words of wisdom and an amazing conversation. I hope everybody listening has been able to be uplifted and filled with this uh, conversation with Dr. Sheffield because man, Rob, you've just done some amazing stuff and I love seeing your growth and seeing what you guys are all about. And for those of you that are listening, uh, please reach out to Rob if you have any questions or make sure you share this episode with friends or colleagues so that they can also get a piece of this great wisdom. Thank you again, Rob, for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for asking me, Dino. 
Absolutely. Everybody listening, please make sure to subscribe and uh, on one of your either iTunes or Spotify or wherever you are listening to the show. Thank you for being members of this show and listening uh, as loyal as you have been. And we've been blessed to have a lot of people come up to us at different events saying that they listen and they enjoy it. And that makes us very, very happy. So thank you again for listening to the Propreneur Podcast. As you know, our goal is to always help you be more proactive, productive, and profitable in all areas of your life and business. We'll see you on the next episode, everybody. Thanks so much again for listening to the Propreneur Podcast. We really appreciate your support. If you haven't subscribed already, please make sure you do so. Also, if you feel like you might be a good fit for our podcast as a guest or know somebody who you think would be, go ahead and email us at dino at dinowatt.com. Again, thanks for support. We'll see you on the next episode.